The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. My first job is one that required me to get up at around 5.30 in the morning as a 12-year-old and make my way to this bus, which then took me to this place about 40 minutes from the home that I grew up in, where I would then get off the bus, walk out there, get on my knees, bend my back, and do the, well, back-breaking work of picking strawberries. And I would do this for six to eight hours a day, uh, no, that's not, that's not really me, but that kind of gives a rep- representation of what I did as a strawberry harvester. Now, we get out there, and, and I'd be out there all day, but uh, perhaps, unfortunately, a strawberry harvester, strawberry picker, strawberry engineer, whatever you want to call it, is, is not paid by the hour. We're paid by the pound. We have these little cards that were fastened to our shirts with a safety pin. And then when we'd pick a couple, they call them flats. When we'd pick a couple of flats, we'd take them up to the top of our row, and the row boss would then come over like with one of those, those puncher things like from the Polar Express and, and punch your card with however many pounds of berries you, you picked. And then that was the way you got paid. So because you got paid for the pound, pe- by the pound, people were always looking for ways to cheat. They'd try and lie in the bottom of their... They're flat with rocks or perhaps a bit more creative. People would would pick berries and then take little pebbles and then push the pebble into the berry to kind of load the berry and weight it down. Yeah, wouldn't how disappointing would that be if you opened just a sweet looking flat of berries that you got at the grocery, you bite into it, there's a big rock there. That was a cheating worker, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen. Now, I never did that. Not honestly for any super benevolent reasons as much as I just thought it was a waste of time. Rather, my vice had more to do with the fact that there were some times when you just saw that berry or that row where you're just like, oh, like this isn't, this isn't worth three or four cents to put this in the flat. This is going down the hatch. Okay. <laughs> And, and so that would happen. Apparently, I didn't overdo it because to this day, I still like strawberries, though I have, I have very high, if not rigid, standards for strawberries. Like, I will, I will look at some strawberries and go, no, that is not going inside the R. Not a chance. <laughs> okay? So I, they've got to be good berries. The other thing that would also be, at times, a distraction... You know, I'd be down. You had to pick your row clean. That was one of the, that was one of the rules of berry picking. Okay. The, the row bosses, when you would get done, they'd always check your, check your row. So you had to do a really thorough job of picking your row clean. And so I'm down there, head down, got my, got my, my head in the bushes. And, and there was this dude, Wes. I still remember this, that, that at least once a week this would happen where I'd be down there. And the next thing I'd know, I'd feel just this rotten, Kind of, you know, it's, it's that, those kind of strawberries that are like on their way to rot as it would be planted firmly into the back of my neck. And of course it would turn into your garden variety berry or food fight right out there. I mean, you're talking about a bunch of 12 year olds out there, right? Of course that's what's going to happen. So I spent my whole summer out there, just short of three months out there, you know, I don't know, four or five days a week. And I made a rockin' $350 for the whole summer. Ching. 
Okay, now, I had been out there for a very, this is circa 1987. That's like, I don't know, $900 in today's figures, perhaps. I don't even know what it is. But either way you look at it, it probably wasn't a whole bunch of money. But I was out there for a very specific purpose. My mom, I told her that I wanted a new pair of skis, and she had made it very, very clear to me. If I was going to get any skis, I was going to have to work all summer to get them. So I made $350, and, and 320 of that went to buy me a new set of K2s. Great investment. I don't regret it. It was, it was a good thing. But one of the things that I learned in that first work experience was certainly, first of all, that I did not want to be a farm worker for the rest of my life. Okay, I wanted to find a job that, that certainly paid a little better. Um, and, I, of course, you begin to understand after you spend hours and hours out there to get just enough money to buy a new pair of skis but not even have enough money to actually go skiing that you'd better work for something more than just the material benefit or reward that you would get from some job. And I think it was the first time, even as a 12-year-old, that I, that I connected with this idea about, you know, work is not just something you do to get stuff or to get rich, but it's you want to do something that's going to bring you joy. You'd best enjoy it because you're going to spend a lot of a lot of time doing it. You're going to be bent over in a, in, a, in a field doing that. So you'd best find something that you enjoy and hopefully has a little bit of purpose to it. Now, my guess is with the things that you shared uh, prior to, to getting started here, that there are very few of you that want to do your first job as a career, okay? Or that it would be feasible to do so. Um, but it has probably provided a little bit of an insight as to what you do want to do with your life and with your career. Now, one of the things that I've come to understand over the, sev- over the last several years as I've met with college students, as I've sat in my office with you, as I've gone on, on walks across campus with you, as I've gone to Malibu or the DR with you, is that one of the, the, there are really two questions that every college student asks. Okay? The first one is simply, who am I? You come to college and everything kind of gets wiped away and there's, there's this sense of, of who am I, trying to, to really seek out your, your true identity. The second question that everybody asks is, what in the world am I supposed to do with my life? Now, some of you, in fact, if you're in this room, odds are you are also asking the question somewhere in the mix, who is God? Okay, so I think it's a safe generalization for this crowd in this room tonight to say there are three big questions on your mind. Who am I? Who is God? And what in the world am I supposed to do with my life? Many of you, of course, are also asking, who am I supposed to be with? Okay, we're not going to address that in this series. If you want to know more about that, go download our, go download our iPhone or Android app and you can listen to last quarter's talk and we can, you know, you can, you can sort things out there. But spring quarter, there becomes a sense of urgency to this question, right? For those of you that are seniors, you've heard it over and over. Perhaps in the last, the last week, you've heard it over and over again. Hey, what are you going to do when you graduate? Okay, some of you may have a great answer to that. Some of you are making up an answer to that. 
Some of you are still searching for an answer to that. For those of you that are underclassmen, of course, we're so grateful that this question is out there because it is the first and most common pickup line. We all know it. What's your? Thank you. Your major. Huge, huge decision for uh, particularly for those of you that, that are undergraduates that have not yet declared. This, this decision feels like the biggest decision of your life. And what I want to tell you believe it or not, is that while that is important and while it certainly can be significant in the grand scheme, it's not that big of a deal. Now, why would I say that? Because I'm a journalism major that is a pastor. Pretty obvious link, right? Well, then we've, we've also got Janie Stewart on our staff. She's a geography, a cartography major. Okay, people don't even use maps anymore. <laughs> And she still has a job. <laughs> Mike McAvoy is a, a construction management major. And, you know, while he's, you know, at risk of being a bit cheesy here, you know, while he's still building things up, it's probably a lot different than what his major might have taught him to build up. Come on, people. That's good. <laughs> that is good dad humor right there. Okay. So all that to say, you're confronting these big questions, right? What am I supposed to do with my life? Who am I? And that's, and it's really that, that first question that we wanna, we wanna get after in this quarter. And to do that, uh, my hope is that we can have, have a little bit of fun. Not, uh, not next week, but two weeks from now, we're gonna get to hear from a guy, uh, that many of you, especially if you UW are familiar with, a guy named Lorenzo Romar. He's the, the men's basketball coach here. He's going to come and, and share uh, from up here about how he's discovered this in his life. About how he discovered how he might put these God-given gifts and talents into play. You're going to get to hear from various people on our staff. You're going to get to hear from Annika next week. You get to hear from our intern, Michael. You get to hear from Steve Blacksmith of Young Life College. You get to hear from a, a woman who's a, a sex educator here locally it, working in public school environments who sees what she does as a ministry. How about that as a calling? We'll get to hear from another guy that a lot of you are familiar with, a guy named Skip Lee, who's a lawyer here and a philanthropist, about how he discovered how to put his vision and gifts and talents into play. What am I supposed to do with my life? That's what we want to spend our quarter looking at, and we've got some great conversation partners to do uh, to really engage this with. And, of course... Uh, our primary conversation partner that will, that will anchor us throughout this is the Apostle Paul. And to do that, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians, and we will kind of come back to this, seeking the Lord's guidance as we ask this question of what in the world are we supposed to do with our lives. So before we get into our text for tonight, let me pray for us, can I? Lord, be our teacher. Um, we... We want to we understand what your word means. We want to we know you more. We want to uh, understand how we might uh, contribute in this world, how we might put our gifts and talents into play. And so, Lord, use this time tonight, even as we come to your word right now, uh, to speak to us. Lord, may we hear your, your voice not in, in a ghostly way, but in a concrete way. Lord, be real to us in this space. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Here we go. First Corinthians. It's an interesting letter. 
Now, for those of you that would journey to read the entire thing, you will notice that Paul gives the Christian community that he is writing to a lot of different instructions. Now, given that this letter was written somewhere, I don't know, about 50 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's a letter that's written to a a church community that is really trying to figure out, they're earnestly seeking, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Another way to ask this is, is what does it mean to be spiritual and to do so appropriately? What does it mean to do the will of God? Now, there's a lot of other things, a lot of other issues, a lot of other questions that the Apostle Paul takes on in this letter. But, but as we get into chapter 12, we see Paul address specifically some gifts of the Spirit. And he's trying to speak into these divisions that happen in the church. And perhaps this will sound a little bit familiar. Where, where there can be this kind of sizing up of even the people that would count themselves as part of the Christian community. You know, and perhaps you yourself do this where you're looking across the room going, oh, that person is really spiritual. You know, perhaps you're even looking up here and going, oh, that guy up front, if you're going to be really spiritual, then that's what you do. You get up in front of a bunch of people and talk about the Bible. You know, other people are saying, you know, the critique might go the other way as well. That people might be looking around going, if you're really spiritual, if you're really doing the will of God, you wouldn't do that, would you? And so Paul is speaking into this, this kind of power struggle between what are real or, or spiritual gifts what are real gifts and what are not? Are there ones that are more important or are there ones that are subordinate? So let's kind of given that context, let's hear, let's hear what the text has to say to us. This again is 1 Corinthians chapter 12 beginning in verse 1. It says this, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow... Or other, you were influenced and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Spirit. Okay, I want to stop here really quick. Right there, you see Paul is beginning to level the playing field. That for anybody who is saying, Jesus is Lord... That right there is the evidence of God's spirit, of God's grace at work in that person's life. Now, I would argue that, that even for somebody who doesn't say that, it doesn't mean that the spirit is not at work in their lives. In fact, the spirit is always at work. But if somebody is saying Jesus is the Lord, the most fundamental confession of the church for all time, Jesus is Lord, that is evidence that the spirit of God is at work. Okay, keep that in mind as we continue. Verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one spirit. 
You see a pattern here? Paul making a big deal, less about the gift, more about the spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So in a dialogue around a church that is divided, as they're trying to figure out what in the world is the will of God, what in the world is spiritual, the first thing that you need to notice is that, is that the apostle Paul levels the playing field and says, let's quit evaluating everybody other's gifts and first puts the focus very directly and firmly back on God and God's spirit, which distributes these gifts. Now, as you wrestle with the question of what in the world am I supposed to do with my life? I want to, I want to, to push you from first uh, getting, getting too isolated or individual in your view of that. Most of the time, we start in this question by asking, what are my gifts? And that's not a bad question. It's it's actually a very good question. What are my gifts? What are my strengths? What makes me happy? What gives me life and energy? Good thing to ask. But what I want to push us back to is we, as we take on this question more of the quarter is, what is God up to? What are the gifts that God has given to you? And it is for, uh, it is, that's really the, the point uh, of departure that I want to begin three reflections as we, uh, as we start our, our series uh, for this quarter. And they really, they really center around what jumped out for me is verse 7. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Okay, so uh, a few of these reflections. First... You do need to believe that God has gifted you, okay? I stand up here very, very confident that that is true for every single person in this room. God has gifted you. Now, for most of you, because of the fact that, you know, you're in college, you've, you've been affirmed, certainly as students, if you are at this point, uh, for... For most of you in this room, and if you're if you're here, by and large, somebody along the way has given you a push and said, "Yes, you are gifted," and that's a good thing. But I also want to alert you to this: you are gifted, but maybe to understand this, you also need to embrace the ways that you are not gifted. Because maybe some of the things that you are not gifted in is actually not your fault. Maybe you simply were not gifted to do certain things. Okay. Also, when I was 12, okay, I was having the best season of Little League that one can imagine. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm out eating strawberries. I'm ripped. I'm getting up. I'm getting up to. I'm getting up to the plate. As a little leaguer, I probably spent way, way too much time perfecting my Griffey walk, you know, because that season, I was just tearing the cover off the ball. I was batting three on my little league team, you know, just, just tearing it up, until I was facing 
the fastest pitcher in the league, a guy named Zach Ripley. He's bringing it. And uh, he brings one, you know, probably trying to brush the R back a little bit. He brings one a little bit inside. I back out, leave my hands in the box. Ball, ball hits my hands, breaks my thumb, done for the season. To this day, I maintain it's the reason I'm not playing Major League Baseball. Okay? <laughs> that and the fact that my mom smoked when I was in the womb. But... Well, she did. It's my... Yeah. It's my now stepdad, who's a physician, explained to me when I give my mom a hard time about, you know, mom, I'd be a lot more successful if you didn't smoke when I was in the womb. You know, my, my stepdad, who's a physician, you know, always says, Ryan, you, you got to understand, like, even in the 70s, we didn't realize how bad that was. You know, so... You know, if any of your folks smoked when you were in the room, give them a break. And I'm sorry about your tough break. I'm in that boat with you. <laughs> All that to say, I could have worked as hard as possible at becoming a better baseball player, and it just wasn't going to work out for me. Okay, my vision was too bad. I was too small. Everybody got bigger than I did, and I, I, could have, I could have busted tail, and I was never going to be a Major League Baseball player. Now, I get inspired by a pleasantry in our culture that says, if you just work hard enough at something, then you will succeed. You may hate me for this, but I'm, I'm here to tell you that that is a half-truth at best. You may work hard and not succeed at something. If I was to be a little bit more serious, you know, calculus never worked out for me. Okay? I busted on it, and for whatever reason, it was one of those things that I just needed to get through. Engineering was not, is not something that I'm gifted at. It doesn't matter how much time I put into it. It just doesn't make sense. There might be some of you sitting here right now going, I have been just grinding away at this and grinding away at this, and it isn't working out. And I challenge you to notice a point where your perseverance might be reduced to mere stubbornness. God has gifted you. Struggles in this way does not mean that God has not gifted you. But you do need to embrace the ways that God has not gifted you. You, I can, I, I feel very confident to say, though I could be wrong, that of all those gifts I, that I read as we read through 1 Corinthians 12, there isn't a single person in this room that has all of them. It, just, it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way. God gives the gifts and God doesn't give the gifts. Okay, okay, but it's God that does this. Second, remember it's not about you. Verse 7 tells us it's about the common good. It's the common good that needs to be done. This may compromise some of your career goals. Is, your career, is the first thing you're looking at is what is the will of God and knowing what that is in your career. 
Next week, uh, I will not be here at the inn, which is, you know, sad. But um, I will be in Augusta, Georgia for this tournament called the Masters that my, this is pretty cool. Uh, for those of you that are sports fans or golf fans, that's kind of a big deal. Um, if you're not, you just need to know it's kind of a big deal. <laughs> and it'll be my brother-in-law's first Masters. And it's, it's been interesting to talk with him about being a, a very successful professional golfer. Right now, for example, he's ranked number one in the FedEx Cup standings. He's, ranked, he's the 47th ranked golfer in the entire world. Okay, he's number 47 on the official world golf rankings. And so to talk with somebody that's, that's really a virtuoso of their trade and to say, Mark, what is this all about for you? You know, where's the, where's the joy? Where's the love? Where's the satisfaction in this? Okay. And about a year ago, Mark and I were having this conversation, and he said, you know, as my career goes further and further, what I discover more and more is that it's about reaching and touching people's lives. It's about being able to make a difference in other people's lives. And Mark and Amy are, are two of the most profoundly generous people I know. And how they share not only the way that the, the financial resources and gifts that come as a part of being a golfer that's that good, but also with their time and the, the things that they, that they invest their energy and prayers into. And here's what's amazing. I wish I could do what Mark does. I, wi- I, ha- I wish I was the guy playing at Augusta next week. I'll be straight up about that. How sweet would that be? You know, be able to tee it up, hit that baby draw, go in, hit the approach, make your birdie feel great about it. Okay? That's not me, unfortunately. But what's crazy is that from time to time, Mark will, will listen to a talk that I give or he'll, he and Amy will be in town and, and they'll attend a worship service and, and get to... Uh, get to see me at work, and it's it's crazy that Mark then comes up to me and says, man, I cannot believe you do what you do. And he, in the same way that I'm going, man, I kind of wish that I could do what you do. He's looking at me going, man, I kind of wish I could do what you do. And where we meet in the middle is going, what what do we have that God has gifted us that contributes to moving God's purposes forward in the world. You see, the emphasis becomes less about how Mark or I is gifted and more about what is what are God's purposes in the world and how do we participate in that? We are starting with the question of God. Do you know what God's purposes are in the world? Broadly speaking, it's redemption. It's healing. It's rescuing and reconciling all things. That's what God desires to do in the world. So before asking the questions about what gifts specifically are yours, in order to understand what your gifts might be, you need to first ask that question in light of what are God's purposes for the world? How do your gifts contribute to the rescuing of people in this world, of people in need, of justice, of healing, of redemption. You have those gifts. For many of you, this is a very different way to think about how you might be called and gifted. 
Now, for those of you that are hearing this, really for all of us, the final reflection is simply this. Chill out. Okay, to the, to the degree that you are stressing about what you're going to do when you graduate in June and you don't know, chill out. To the degree that you have not declared a major and you have no idea what it's going to be or you feel you're in the wrong one, chill out. A great mentor of mine says that you spend the first 35 years of your life discovering what, your, what he says, what your calling or what your ministry is, and then you spend the next 35 years actually doing it. I turned 35 this year. And when I was 20, I had absolutely no idea what I was passionate about. As I started to hit my stride in, in my career, and you would have told me what, what I would be doing at age 20, what I would be doing, what I'm doing at age 35, I would have been... I would have been like, no way. Not a chance. In fact, right now I find myself going, maybe, maybe 40 is the new 35. It might take 40 years to figure out because I feel like I'm still learning about what this is all about. Chill out. You have plenty of time to figure this out. You are gifted. For me, when I asked the question after, after I graduated with that degree in journalism, I spent a few years working in, in sports and events and PR. And after a couple of years, I got kind of curious of going, what would it look like to serve the church with my gifts and talents? And so I accepted an internship here that I fully anticipated would be about a nine-month experiment and that was, that was 10 years ago now. <laughs> Nine-month experiment that turns into a 10-year experiment. How about that? Why? Because why, why have I stayed in ministry? Why have I continued to do what I'm doing? Two reasons. One, this is a way that God draws me to himself. In having to get up and do things like this, in getting the opportunity to go on mission trips. God uses that to draw me closer to him. To to draw me into a deeper relationship with him in knowing what those purposes, those rescuing and reconciling and healing and loving purposes are in the world. And two, it turns out that I'm obsessed about you guys. I think about college students all the time. I think about you and what you're, what you're wrestling with, what you're struggling with. These questions that you wrestle with of who am I, what am I supposed to do with my life, it keeps me awake at night too. I love you guys and want to point you a direction where you are going to find life and life to the, the full and use those gifts and talents that God has given you for the building up of the common good. Frederick Beekner has a great quote that I know Annika will unpack a little bit more next week that we'll address throughout this series. Is that, we turn, is that he says that calling is where your great passion meets the world's 
great need. Following Jesus means embracing both the ways you have been gifted and have not been gifted. Knowing that God has gifted you to participate in his redeeming and reconciling work in this neighborhood and around the world. That's the journey that we are going to discern together throughout the quarter, and it is an exciting one. Come back next week as we continue. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you that you are the giver of every good and perfect gift. Lord, as we wrestle, not only individually, but as a community, about what in the world it is we are supposed to do with our lives, make us sensitive to your Spirit's leading. Lord, help us out. Help us to to know you, to know your word, and to, Lord, walk courageously and boldly with our gifts that you have given us into those places that you would call us. Lord, meet us now as we continue in a time of worship and song. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.